This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. I never know where to stand because the renter crowd on this stage, they mind, they're the nicest people apparently. And yeah, yeah, they're like the loudest people. So, so this, this should be the middle. I'm not sure where the middle is. But um, let's go for it. I'm going to talk about the elephant in the room. Okay, the elephant in the room. Our vision as a church is to reach nations and generations through discipleship, leadership development, and church planning. If you're new to the church, if you're visiting us, this is what we stand for. It's sort of the Great Commission in, a, in some sort of like um, different words. But we are here to reach nations and generations, not just to play church, not just to have a lot of people, because I'm against big church. Uh, if there's not discipleship and reaching nations and changing lives for Christ, and uh, just this church next year will be here for 30 years, and uh, God has blessed us to see more than 20,000 students go out from this church by God's grace, by God's uh, call and vision is to reach nations and generations. So we have uh, people that started churches in the Middle East, people that are started churches in Afghanistan that have all come from this church. And uh, it's Jesus' church. we just here yeah, functioning and facilitating what he is doing. Uh, but we believe that discipleship is a core part of that. And so Jesus in Matthew 28 Verse 18 to 20 says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me. This is to the disciples that he's speaking. Has been given to me in the heaven and on the earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. The word nations is the word ethos, ethnos, which means ethnicity groups, not nations like we know it today. But every tribe, every tongue, go and make disciples. And then it says, Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So part of what we're doing here tonight is we're baptizing people because that's part of the commission of Christ. And uh, disciples, you know, is not just churchgoers. It's not just people that attend Christian events, but people that say, hey, I want to get baptized. I want to not first repent, but now I, baptism is that first step of obedience uh, to follow Christ. You know, if you are in the Middle East today, we were in Iran um, a couple of years ago, three, four or five years ago, and there was a lady that we baptized in the bathtub, and she fasted for 21 days, just water fast, for the privilege of being able to be baptized. And uh, there, if you want to join the church, you have to wait a year, and they check out the fruit of your life, whether you are worthy to join the church. Uh, the modern-day Western church is just like, hey, come, we have nice coffee and nice things, you know. Uh, so church is not about having a lot of people. You can have, I've been in America with um, Angus, and we were there in churches of 30,000 people in the church, but you realize there's a lot of people there, and I'm going to be straight with you, but God doesn't feel welcome there. And so the question is, does God feel welcome? Uh, is he happy with our lives? And so Jesus gives us this command. He says, go into all the nations, baptize them. And then he says, teaching them to observe, some translations use the word obey, all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you. Any lows in the, in the, in the, in the church here? Lows, where's low, Pinar, low, there's a couple of lows, there's about five lows here. Are they here tonight? Maybe at the other services, but you must feel very special if you're low, because it says, and low, you know? 
great, you know. But so, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. These are, can be words on a screen, but these are the most important words Jesus gave us. And he says, first, go and make disciples, baptize them. And then he says, go and teach them to observe. Not teach them in a class or let them read a nice book. Discipleship comes with observation. Monkey see, monkey do. And that means that it's a relationship with God and a relationship with each other. You cannot disciple people from a distance. That's why small groups is so important because that's where we live together and that's where we sort of like, hey, you know, we're challenged to grow together as we disciple each other, as we challenge each other around what does the word say. And these celebrations on a Sunday is so important, yes, but it's when you're in a small group and you have to live out and be accountable and be challenged by the truth of Christ and the love of Christ. That's really where you grow. And so it says, teach them to observe not teach them to have all the doctrines right, uh, to know exactly what the church believes, all that stuff. No, no, no. Teach them to observe. Meaning like take people on the journey with you. That's what discipleship is about. is the ability to hear God's voice, to know his will for your life, and to be obedient to that. And so um, it is so important that we become spiritual people because your purpose in life is to become mature in Christ to grow up in Christ-likeness. And Paul writes to the people in Corinthians and he actually fights with them because he says, hey, I wanted to give you meat, but I can only give you milk. You know, how's your stomach for the meaty stuff? It's when God begins to challenge you, when there's change in your life, when there's transformation. And so um, one of the stories that I, I was reminded of today is, you know, I was uh, not last week, the week before that, we went to visit people that... Um, it's a, it's a lady, she's married now, she's got three kids, I think it's six, four, and two, no, two months, six, four, and two months, three boys, okay, and, um, and, and this girl, when she was a, a student here a couple of years ago, her life was really falling apart, but we decided we're going to invite her into our home, you know, and so just every Saturday she would be there, we taught her how to change nappies, and that wasn't such a pleasant experience, and all that stuff for her, but we just gave us some of life, you know, and, and eventually she got married to this great guy, and they went to uh, Johannesburg, and they planted a church there, and the other day they came here in Somerset West, and we joined them for a dinner, and it was, it was so nice, you know, because she was always laughing, and here I was just sitting, and as I came into the front door, these two boys, they probably ate too much sugar the afternoon, because it was this beautiful, amazing house, it wasn't their house, it was friends of theirs that then that, those friends never allowed people in that house to stay there, but now they stay there. And, um, and so these boys were just sugar mad, you know, because they were running up and down. And so when I came into the front door, these two boys were doing bola makisis. Do, do you know what a bola makisi is? Who, who knows what a bola makisi is? Where's, where's the overseas people? I forgot to introduce you, all the German ladies, will you stand, and the three, three guys, will you all stand, all seven, I think you're on this side, come stand, we want to welcome you. So, Gabriel, and John Wesley, and uh, Leonardo, and Rachel, and Mona, and you, you're not saying say Julia, Julia, 
Julia, and Greta. Okay. They've come uh, from all over the world, and they're going to be with us for a whole year. And we threw them in the deep end. Yeah, just welcome. And um, the girls are all German. They sorted out, hey? They're sorting us out already. We just want to officially welcome you. But a bolomakisi is like a somersault in the front. You know what a bolomakisi you know is? Well, okay. Can you demonstrate to us, please, what a bol? No, you can sit down. You can sit down. Welcome here. It's just great to have you here. They've already been serving this week. And, um, <clears throat> but the, the crazy part is these two the boys were running up and down and doing bolomakisis. Eventually, I ended up doing bolomakisis with them because it's so much fun, you know. Uh, <clears throat> but... Where, where am I coming from is, you know, when we grow, grow a bit older, we, we lose that thing because we, we, there's always elephants in the room. There's always like stuff, you know, and, and sometimes in this beautiful, we have these beautiful houses, but there's this tension, <laughs> and, and we're going to talk a bit about that, you know, we, we, there's tension in our relationships because why we harden our hearts towards God and towards other people, and especially in this time, in this world, people are more isolated than ever People are more divided than ever. And this is the time for the church to arise. But it's, it's going to cost us something. Discipleship is not easy when you follow Christ. Uh, Jesus you know, calls these group of fishermen and he says, come follow me. He doesn't give them direction. He doesn't tell them this is the five-year plan. He doesn't tell them like, hey, I've sorted it out, just come. You know, they've just caught this massive heap of fish. And Jesus walks up and says, come, you follow me. And then he starts walking. And, and if, if I was Peter, I would have said, like, Jesus, just wait a moment. Um, sit down. Drink your pineapple drink. I want to go sell all this fish because through this fish, I can fund your ministry for the next 10 years. But Jesus just walks in and he says, you, follow me. And he starts walking. Isn't that amazing? That's part of discipleship is Jesus is always going somewhere. He's always moving. He's always doing something. And, and are you willing to go with him? And that's why he says, observe a Christian. If you want to follow God, if you want to be a disciple, you must learn to observe. You must learn to have discernment as where is God moving and what he's doing. You know, um, I have friends in the Middle East. They, they just go and pray for a while. And they say, Lord, show us where you're moving and who are the men of peace. And then the Lord will show them in a vision to go to a specific place, meet the guy there. They give him a suitcase with a lot of DVDs in and say, hey, in two years' time, we're going to meet you here because God told us you need to come to repentance and you're going to become the pastor in this nation. Two years later, they get there and there's 2,000 people in this church. Because God has prepared that heart of that guy long before they even came there. God has prepared some hearts here tonight to become obedient. And maybe you're not saved, but... But he's been working in your life, whether you know it or not, he's been working, you know. The only problem is this, we resist because pride is an ugly thing. We resist the work of God. But in the context of discipleship, in the context of going to the nations, Jesus gives us the promises. And he says, lo, I'm with you even to the end of the age. A lot of people say like, yo, yo, Jesus said he's always with me. But you're going to experience him in a very special way. When you are obedient to his commands. When you have a heart for the nations. When you have a heart for people around you. A heart for your neighbor. You're going to know his manifest presence in your life. Because there's nothing like working with God. There's nothing like seeing God move in your life and through your life. But the devil lies to us because he says like, hey, you're not good enough. 
He's always the accuser. He accuses when that finger points like, you're not good enough. You'll never make it, you know. Those shofar people, they are just too fundamental. They're just too spiritual, you know. You must sort of have a balanced life. You know, one foot in the world, one foot in the kingdom. No, 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 no. It doesn't work like that. Jesus gave everything, and now he invites us to everything. And he says, the promise, when you start to baptize people, when you start to take them on in your life journey, when you start to invite them in your home. You know, I had a guy who was, uh, bless his heart, in my third year, I studied BAC, and, um, and he, my roommate, he would just invite all the street people into our, our room. Third year, financial accounting, Hallelujah. I, I had to forgive him every day. I said to him, how can you do this to me? And we couldn't make food, so we just made pasta and mince. And mince and pasta. And pasta, mince, and soya sauce. And pasta, mince, soya sauce, and booster sauce. And sometimes tomato sauce. And then we'd mix it. You know, Every night we had something different to eat. It was just amazing. But he just was mercy-orientated, so he just invited every person that he saw into our home. Eventually, I stacked up the side. And I said, you stay that side. I stay this side. I need to study. But hallelujah, I made it. Praise the Lord, you know. And um, so, here we go. Okay, so, <clears throat> the challenge for us is, do we actually believe that God is with us? And he says, that I'll be with you. The promise of his presence, the promise of his life, the promise of his authority. He says, I've given you authority because I have all authority. The second scripture, and this is the scripture for the evening that we're going to look at. He says, in Hebrews, this writer writes, and we don't know exactly who wrote Hebrews. Some people say Paul, but it wasn't, we don't really know because the type of writing was different than what Paul would write. But he, he sort of introduces Jesus in chapter 1, and then he goes on to the faith chapter in chapter 11, and, and he sort of jumps into chapter 12, verse 1. This is my favorite two verses in the Bible. And he says, therefore, we also, or three verses, four verses, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnare us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And how should we run? He says, okay, when you start running, make sure there's no sin in your life and make sure there's no weights, no heaviness in your life. And the reason why many Christians today are depressed in the West is because they're not doing the will of God. Because now you have to find your fulfillment in your Christian events or in just your comfort zone. But the crazy part is, Jesus said, hey, I, I want you to partake of life. And I want to release that over, over you. And we're going to get back to the bowl of Makisi now. now. So, and let us run with endurance the race that he set before us. And as you run, you've cast off the weights, you've cast off the heaviness. Look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Meaning that he's written a book of your faith, of your life. Are you willing to read that? Are you willing to ask him? Are you willing to say, God you are the author and the finisher of my faith. It's a gift from God, but I need to go and find out what is in that book that is written of your life, of my life, of us as a church, our life. And this is the part I want to focus on tonight. He says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. How did Jesus do this? How did Jesus run this race? He's finished the race. He says, for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. He despised the shame, 
and he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. There were three things that happened. He said, endure the cross, endurance. We need endurance in this time when it's tough. Lots of people are losing their jobs. There's a lot of endurance. is a stamina. It makes you run a marathon. It's not just a 10-meter sprint. God wants to give his church endurance in this time. But he says, with that endurance, something happened. He despised the shame. He didn't just like remove the shame. He actually made nothing of shame. And shame says, I'm wrong. Guilt says, I've done wrong. But shame is that false identity that the world wants to put on us as Christians. Or that the devil wants to put on your life and say like, hey, no, no, no. God hasn't really chosen you. He doesn't have a plan. He's like... He's just this old man with a stick up there. But the crazy part is if you rebuke shame over your life, you begin to step into the identity that Christ gives you. And you have to listen what Jesus says about you. Otherwise, you're going to listen to what the world says about you. And so he, on the cross, now, now this, is, this is so, this is the upside down gospel, you know, because he says he hanged naked. So the, the, the point of shame is to die on a cross and die naked before everyone to see. Everyone would say, oh, oh, shame. And yet through that act, he broke all shame over our lives. And he says, come, I, I, I want to show you. I want you to enter into an endurance. And, and so the challenge today is the, the question, we've been speaking about that, about worship and about a lot of stuff in the past couple of weeks is, are you willing to come to the source, which is Christ? Are you willing to come to the Holy Spirit and find an endurance and a joy and an identity in Him that is not in your circumstances? Because the world in the West is being shaken. The church in the West is being shaken. But are we running this race? He said, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God for consider Him. He says, think about this. Him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. He says, you must think about these things. Why? Lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You will become discouraged if you, don't, if you stop running. If you lose that ability to focus on him that finished the race. The one who had the joy set before him. And isn't it beautiful? There's a, there's a lot of stuff that God puts before you. You know, I am... Um, have this beautiful milk tart, mm. chocolate donut, mm. and who can tell me what this is? Lemon meringue, mm. and I'm not going to share it. I got a word from the Lord that I shouldn't share it with anybody. But so if I would take this, mm, mm, let, me, let me just show you. It's real. It's not fake. It's the real thing. Mm. Can you see? Don't touch. <laughs> Can you see? Mm. That milk talk looks like, looks like a tower. Eh? Mm. Can you see? Also, oh, leave it out. Mm. Just, just check this. Eh? Now imagine I come in and I say, this is, this is, no, 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 this is yours, yeah? And I set it before you. And you come and eat and everybody else is just like, you, yeah? Just, just, this is, this is real. This is not fake. This is, this is really real. Ooh, ooh, balance, balance, balance. Okay. So, 
Say, please stop coiling, coiling. What is coiling? Drooling, drooling. Mm, you can look, but you can't touch. Mm, can you see? Mm, JP, are you hungry? Yeah, which one would you like? The lemon meringue. No, no, I chose it first. Okay, you can choose another one. The donut. Come, come with me, come. Come, come. Mm. Mm. So I'm setting it before you. Choose, eat, but you need to make you need to make sounds with it as you eat. Mm. Mm. No, no, that's not a, just a, mm, you must. It's from inside out. Mm. Okay, eat, eat, eat. Enjoy. Smile, yeah, smile. Mm. Don't talk with a mouthful of food, eh? Your mom learned you, taught you. We're just enjoying the moment, but look at how they're drooling all of them here on this side, eh? But just enjoy yourself. Just stand there, just stand there. So, isn't it crazy that God says to us that even in Psalm 23, He prepares a table. Don't blush now, JP, you know? He prepares a table in the face of my enemy. To partake of the things of God, it's like God sets a table before you and he says, come, even when your enemies are staring at you, I want you to partake. So there was something set before Jesus on the cross, the joy that was set before him. What was that joy? Was it an emotional experience? Mm -mm. <laughs> Take a, slip, a, sip of, a sip of cool drink. Oh, yeah. Okay. Just enjoy yourself. Just because. So, the question is, what is said before you today? Is it death? Is it destruction? Is it? But Jesus hanging on the cross had a joy set before him, and that joy was the salvation of the world. Okay, JP, you can go and sit now. But don't share that. Don't share that. Okay. It's just yours. Just enjoy. Okay. Sit, sit amongst your enemies. You know, prepare a table. The crazy part is we actually, we, we actually, especially as the church in the West, we find our happiness in so many things that we never know the joy of the Lord. So, so we, need, we need to rush a little bit. But where does Christian joy come from? And so we're talking in this concept of partaking of God's divine nature, where Jesus says, look here, I'm going to give you something. I'm going I'm to give you the ability to work with me. You're not working for him. You're not doing things for him. And I'm, I'm giving you this command. It's this crazy command to go into the world, to go and make disciples. You have to first finish your race. You have to run in a specific way. But as, as you go, there's going to be something that I'm going to set before you. In Revelation 3, verse 20, it says, Jesus knocks at the door and says, I want to come in and I want to feast with you and you with me. And it's written to Christians because a lot of Christians never partake of the divine nature of God. And so there's, there's something God wants to release over our lives that has got nothing to do with whether we have breakthrough or not breakthrough. And we'll post this on the info group and, no, not on the info group, on this 
group. So if you're registered, the Lord bless you. If you did not register for this service, we have forgiven you 30 times because you was registered for this service. Amen. But in any case, so where does Christian joy come from? And this is your homework for the week. We don't have time to, to go into all of this. But Christian joy comes from knowing him FaceTime, spending time with him. Do you know that there's a lot of research being done that your character and your personality is formed in your right brain, not your left brain. So a lot of what the church sometimes does wrong is we think the more teaching we can give people, the more they're going to change and become Christ-like. And that's not right. The more you experience and encounter God, the more you're going to change. It must be in truth, yes. But it's your right brain that forms your experiential knowledge of who God is. It's that feeling, that that emotion. So a lot of people say, as a Christian, you can't have emotion. No, you've been made emotional. Look at when you watch the rugby and the soccer and the netball and the fly fishing or whatever, you know, turns you like passionate. You know, some people do it through mushroom hunting and some people do it through like shoelace doing a knitting or I don't know what, but there's something that you're excited about, that, that thing that makes you like, oh, you know. And so Christian joy, and it's like you can check the moms. You must, some of you must come in the morning service because there's a lot of babies. This, this church takes the multiplication thing to another level, okay? <laughs> Hallelujah. Don't watch too much TV, but in any case. But that mommy, you know, and so this, this one mommy, I was checking the baby. She goes like, dun, 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 I can just imagine what the baby thinks. is like, talk normal, you know? And everybody comes like... You know, baby language, we just go like, you know, and for seven months, that mom is just like, you know, you're the cutest little thing, thing, you know, and it's like FaceTime with mom. And do you know what happens? What is formed inside of that baby is, a, is an identity. It's a sense of belonging. And so we think as the church that this is going to do it, but this is not doing it because there's no intimacy involved. That's why church is going to become more important than ever before, where we spend face time with God and face time with each other, where we unlearn the conforming of the world and the patterns of the world, because you've been brainwashed by what you watch, and people cannot spend time with God anymore, and that's why depression in the church, outside of the church, has basically almost doubled in the last four years. People are heavy laden, people are depressed. And ask the German people, yeah. I read an article this week on how many people in Europe, more than for medical doctors, are going to psychiatrists. People are heavy laden, people are depressed. People are isolated. Why? Because we've, we don't know how to connect anymore. Jesus said, hey, when you abide in me, <laughs> you're going to have fullness of joy. Go read John 15. He says, I've prayed this so that you may know my joy and that your joy may be full. <laughs> it's in time with God, being in his presence. In his presence is fullness of joy. Psalm 16 verse 11 says. The scripture is full of that. 
It's not a happening. It's not happiness on the outside, but it's because there's something that happens here inside of you. You have peace with God. Philippians 4 verse 6 and 7 says it. Hey, I'm going to give you a peace that surpasses all understanding that will guard your heart and your mind. You need a God over your heart and you need a God over your mind. But we're being brainwashed by the media. The people, the ordinary Christian has got no gods anymore. We're just allowing everything into our soul. But you know, David said at a stage, he said, be still my soul and know that he is God. David spoke to his own soul. <laughs> he had a God in front of his mouth. He had a God in front of his heart because he knew he needed protection. Because the devil is stealing and the world is stealing because you're either going to worship, you're going to, whatever you worship, you're going to become. We have joy because of an eternal perspective. You know, almost two weeks ago, I spoke to a guy in Afghanistan that said God called him to Kabul. He sent his wife and his three children to run over the mountains into Pakistan. He greeted them for the last time. He said, God called me to be here. And I will most probably die for the sake of the gospel. But if I've seen Jesus, how can I forsake him? How can I walk away from him? The man that has fire in his eyes. You see, that's why every person in the Middle East that had an encounter, and most of them, whether you go to Iran or whether you go to North Korea, and I've been to many of those countries, when you go there, every person there had a personal visitation of Jesus himself, or in a vision, or in a dream. And everyone will talk about the same thing, the fire in his eyes. You see, but we have grown out of that space where we can look God in the eyes and with the people around us because we don't even sit around the table to eat anymore. We sit around the television and we binge watch and we go for it. You see, there's an eternal perspective. The Ecclesiastes says God has given eternity in our hearts. Jesus went so far to say, hey, when the disciples came back in John chapter 4, he says, hey, doing the will of my Father, that's my food. I, you know, how many of you like eating? I love eating. It's just nice, you know? It's just, it's just amazing. But why do we like eating? Because it nourishes us. It, it just like, feels like, wow, you know? But Jesus said, my food is to do the will of my Father and to finish his work. It's better than eating, he says. Better than that chocolate donut, JP. Yo, and then the joy comes through Christian community where we edify each other. It says it's better when two walk together than one. You cannot, as a Christian, make it on your own. There's no way. You'll get discouraged. And that's what that Hebrew scripture talks about. It says, you need to consider every day what Christ has done. You need to consider that you're running a race. Otherwise, you're going to grow weary and discouraged. And there's a lot of people that are growing weary, either because they're running in the wrong way, or they have got weights on them, or they are not looking to Jesus. They're looking to the spectators. They're thinking this is just a joy right now. He's inviting us. He says, through endurance, you have to run. Wow. And then one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is joy. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, gentleness, patience, self-control. We don't put that one on our wall. Eh? We love the love. We love the joy. We love the peace. Turn to your neighbor and say, 
self-control. <laughs> Turn to your other neighbor and say, patience. Oh. Oh, those are not the thing that comes easy, you know. The fruits of the Holy Spirit, joy, listen to me carefully, the fruits are, the gifts of God are given, but the fruits are grown in your life. So how do you get joy? By just receiving joy? Mm -mm. It grows in your life. As you surrender to God, as you learn to look through eternity's eyes, as you even endure suffering. Trials. James writes this. He says, count it all joy. Just go to the next slide. Count it all joy. The, the next one. <laughs> count it all joy. James chapter 1. Have you got it there? Did it disappear? Oh, it disappeared. That slide went through trials and tribulations. But so... So in Philippians chapter 4, it says, rejoice always, I say, rejoice. And so it's something you as a Christian need to learn. This fruit in your life is to tap into the joy of your salvation, what God has done every day. And that's why thankfulness is so important. Because we, especially as South Africans, we get very critical. We get very negative. We always know what's wrong. We always judge the motives of our heart. And yet God wants to release a joy over your life and a freedom that is not determined by the circumstances. Because James says that even when you suffer these things, count it all joy. Rejoice always. And there's some of you struggling with heaviness. One of that reasons is simply because you don't know the will of God for your life. And when you start to do that and you become obedient, he's going to release a joy. The joy of the harvest, the joy of knowing the joy of your salvation. What, and I, I want to encourage you, if you have forgotten, then share your testimony this week with a couple of people. Just say, hey, I, I want to I talk to you about what God has done in my life. I, I have a pastor friend in Malawi, the northern parts of Malawi, and um, Pastor Billy Monkondia. And so he lives right in the northern parts. And so one day we had to drive up a lot of stuff to the north. So we drive just the two of us in this Bucky, Toyota, praise the Lord, it was not a Land Rover, we would not have made it, but it was Toyota, and so everything keeps going right, but so we were going up, and so now, you know, Pastor Billy, we were driving through, we just got through a long way, and he says, Pastor Sayas, share your testimony with me, you know, because they can't say see us, they use different uh, variations of my name, but in any case, so he says, share your testimony, but not the short version, the long version. And so half an hour later, I say, Pastor Billy, share your testimony with me. Then he shares his testimony. And then, then he begins to weep. And we stop next to the road. We do a bit of worship there. Say, thank you, Lord, for what you've done. And so then we start driving again. And three minutes later, he says, Pastor Sias, share your testimony with me again. But not the short version. The long version. And then I have to start all over again. You know, then I start sharing the same testimony. And because I'm a bit evangelistically inclined, I want to add some spice, but stick to the rules, stick to the facts. And here we go again. Half an hour later, Pastor Billy, share your testimony. And then he shares his testimony again. Yeah? Then we stop next to the road again. We worship the Lord. Tears come flowing down. How oh, God is good. Then we drive again. Five minutes later, Pastor Billy says, Pastor, see us. Share your testimony with me again, yeah? 
Nine hours later, we arrive in Chitipa. <laughs> but every time I shared it, I learned something. I tapped into the joy of God, the fact that he saved me, the fact that he came to deliver me. And see, some of us are losing focus of what God has done in your life because the devil is the accuser. And so you're accusing yourself, you're accusing other people, you always know what's wrong because you're allowing to be taken captive by the devil to do his work in your life. Never allow accusation in your life. It's not from God. Never allow for you to accuse other people. Yeah, they always say, those are shofar people, you know. It's just sometimes a reflection or a reaction to our own conviction that God wants to do something in your life. And then pride kicks in. So will you stand with me tonight as we're going to start preparing our hearts. I was sharing with, um, I think it was Vilio, and... Um, we had, a, we had an amp camp this week, and the amazing part was like, yeah, who was on the amp camp? There was a couple of faces I saw here, lots of people. We, we had so much fun, you know? And um, so at the beginning of the camp, it was like that word we couldn't use. It was very warm. There was a chilly breeze, warmy breeze running through. It was a brrr. But in any case, that was the words. We were not allowed to use that word over the camp. But so standing there at the beginning of the camp, I was thinking like, oh, you know, here we go again, another camp, 25 years later. And at the end of the camp, we just say, Lord, bring it on. Let's have another one. So in October, we'll have another AMP camp. I mean, 14th of act. Because just coming together and spending time. And you know what? A lot of things are being exposed in our hearts as the church in the West, especially. Because we called certain things joy, but now it's taken away. And now a lot of people are walking away from Christ. But there's an invitation. There's an invitation for you to come and do some bolomakisis. There's an invitation for you to say to God, God, just like those children, they didn't care how fancy, how many millions of rands that fancy house was. If the owners of the house saw how these kids were behaving, whoo, never invited back again. But you see, what kids does, children do, is that there's a joy that just naturally comes from here. They take every moment and live it to the fullest. But when we grow older, our hearts get hardened, we get bitter, we get negative. The cares of this world, the accusation of the devil. And you know, Jesus hanged on that cross because he had a joy set before him and it was you and me being here tonight. You responding to his call to despise the shame, to give you endurance, to give you a joy and a response of thankfulness to who he is. Not what he can do. And that's the bad part of the Western prosperity gospel. It focuses on what God can do. But you know, even in the Old Testament when God says to Moses, Moses, I want you to deliver my people. I want you to bring them out. God said it to him on a specific mountain. God never in the first time when he called Moses to deliver the people of God, he didn't call Moses and speak about the promised land. He said, Moses, you're going to go up against the mightiest dynasty, Pharaoh, 
that has ever lived, one of the biggest empires, you've got nothing except the staff which represents my presence. You're gonna go against Pharaoh and you're gonna say to him, let my people go. But you know what Moses needed to do and what God invited him to? He says like, Moses, bring my people out of Egypt so that they can worship me here at this mountain. He didn't speak about the promised land. And then we know when they came there, they were so terrified about God that they said, no, Moses, you speak to God. You speak to God. We, 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 just, we just want the, we don't want the mediator, you know. We, we want priests. We want tablets. We want commands. We want rules and laws because we don't want intimacy with God. And I can just see how God's heart is broken because he wanted to show himself to his people. He wanted them to worship him and experience him and bring the freedom of not just the deliverance, but actually begin to show, hey, Moses understood this because Moses says, Lord, we're not going to go into the promised land unless your presence goes with us. You see, how do you value the presence of God in your life? Because in His presence, there is fullness of joy. When you spend time in the morning with Him, when you start to worship Him, when you start to say, God, I don't have any reason really in the natural to worship You. Things are not going well, but I know You're good. So I'm choosing to enter into the joy of the Lord. I'm choosing to spend face time with You. Lord, I don't like those people in that small group, and I don't actually like those people in the church, but you know, Lord, I'm going to spend face time with them because they're going to lay hands on me. They're going to edify me they're going to encourage me they're going to challenge me to become christ-like because that's what the church is about disciples of christ as we're following him as he's going somewhere and and the most amazing thing is busy happening i don't know if it's happening at other places here with us we have baptized more than 130 people since the beginning of the year in this church let's give god praise 130 people more than in the last two years together while COVID is running because people are beginning to be desperate but one thing I know you know the other day the pastor visited us and it was the biggest compliment ever the biggest compliment that some pastor could ever give he said God was there he didn't say oh it was nice worship songs he didn't say oh it was nice preaching he didn't say oh it was nice people and nice coffee the ushers were really nice the biggest compliment he gave us as a church was God was truly there. I said, okay, Lord. Whatever we need to do to make God feel welcome. Because in his presence, we are healed. He doesn't do healings. He is the healer. He doesn't do deliverances. He is the deliverer. And so a lot of people say, oh, big church is bad. You know, it's just structures and all of that. No, no, big church is bad if the presence of God is not there. But God is beginning to move and He's inviting all of us. We feel completely out of our wits. We feel like, Lord, we don't know where we're going. The other day, another pastor asked me like, what are you guys doing different? I said, I don't know. We're just doing the Bible. We're just following Jesus. But it's that encounter when you come on your knees and you weep before God and you break and you repent and you turn back to Him and say, God, take this hardened heart of mine. Come and heal me. Come and deliver me. God, take out all the elephants in the room. I only want your presence. I only want to know you. Paul wrote about it. He says, I want to know Him. 
I want to know the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. Are you willing to take up the fellowship of the sufferings of Christ? Are you willing to pray in the night for our, the church, our family in Afghanistan when it's got nothing to do with you? Or are you just going to be a consumer Christian, just going on your own way? But when you enter into the joy of the Lord, He begins to share His heart with you and sometimes it breaks you. Sometimes it enters into a love, you know, that, that hurts you. That becomes so sacrificial that you just want to say, Lord, not me, Lord, no. And God says, I want to use you as a vessel. I want to come and inhabit the praises of my people. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.